Welcome, everyone. For those of you who are here with us for Easter, you know we're working through Emmett Fox's commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And last week we started, um, as Jesus did, with the Beatitudes, which was kind of a lovely opening poem, if you will, to kind of set the mood for his... uh, Um, You might think of it as one of those uh, spiritual seminar kind of things that he invited a few thousand of his closest friends to come up on the mountain and listen to. Today we're going to plunge right into more material. Uh, And you know how oftentimes people will start out a talk with a little bit of, what do you want to call it, a disclaimer or a a kind of a setup about what you're going to listen. And not surprisingly, I guess, that's what Jesus did. Now, if you think a little bit about what was going on in the world at the time, especially with regards to him, he was totally seen as an outlier, a kind of a rebel. I mean, this is the man that uh, stormed the temple. This is the man that said, do what you want on Sunday. Don't have to observe the Sabbath. This is the the fellow that was hanging out with uh, inappropriate people. and in inappropriate places. And so I could only imagine that the people who came to this seminar were ready for him to start right in on why everything that was going on in the temple was wrong. And so here's his caveat. Here's his disclaimer. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the laws or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. On the contrary, to fulfill them. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until all is accomplished. So quite the contrary, he plunged right in and said, no, what they teach, the intent of the teachings in the temple, are good and fine, and in fact, you're going to get some more of them. So I could only imagine that the people were kind of like going, all right, well, that's interesting. Here we thought we were going to get an enthusiastic condemnation of what was going on, right? And instead, it sounds like he's going to tell us more. And in fact, he appears to. He starts in by repeating some of the Ten Commandments. So, of course, I managed to find a joke about the Ten Commandments that, uh, that I thought you might enjoy by way of us kicking off this talk. So as soon as Moses is given the Ten Commandments by God on the top of Mount Sinai, he immediately takes them down to show the people. Well, after much discussion, arguing even, Moses is asked to go right back up to Mount Sinai for a clarification. So although very tired, Moses makes the long and hard trek back up to the uh, the top of Mount Sinai, and there, by the burning bush, he kneels and prays to God. O mighty God, King of heaven, prays Moses, your people have asked me to raise an important point of clarification relating to the Ten Commandments. A voice booms out. What is this question that my people ask of me, says God? Oh, mighty God, says Moses, they want to know if they're listed in order of priority. (laughs) And I think this is interesting because when someone gives us a list of behaviors, of things we're supposed to do or not supposed to do, if, if it's our behavior that people are after, what do we tend to do? Don't we tend to push back? Don't we tend to have questions? Don't we really want to finagle our way? And I'm sure finagle is a real word. Don't we want to finagle our way into getting things to come our way? 
even though the words might sound a little different, even though, well, and this is what I think Jesus is talking about here. And in fact, rather than just repeating the Ten Commandments, he starts working on them a little bit. He starts with murder. He says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, so here he's quoting Moses, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, so nothing new here. This is just repeating thou shalt not kill. But he goes on. I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to the same judgment. He goes on. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what he's doing? He's basically saying there is something before the Ten Commandments. That the Ten Commandments might be useful, right? As a kind of an, well, not even very exhaustive list, if you think about it, of what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. It might be a great place to start. And in fact, that's why he says that he's not here to contradict what has come before, but rather to amplify it, right? Rather to, uh, to embody it. He's really giving us the template for coming up with our own set of commandments. He's really, if you will, overarching this arbitrary list of things that we should do or not do with the clues that are higher than that, with a law that is higher than that. And really he's talking metaphysically about what? It happens in our mind first, then it outpictures in the world. That thoughts become things. And this makes so much sense, doesn't it? I mean, no one who is pure in heart and, 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 and clean in their mind just wakes up one morning and decides to go out and do something horrible, right? It's always preceded by thoughts. We've always been already, long before the affair starts, right, we've been thinking about how so-and-so, you know, is attractive and, and, you know, even though I'm the boss and shouldn't go there and, and you know what, and they'll come up with all kinds of excuses why work romances are right or an affair is right. And, and what are they doing? They're playing it out in their head months, maybe years before the actual deeds are done. What Jesus is telling us here is that thoughts always precede action. That it is in our head first, whether it be good or bad, that we're creating our world, and then what happens? Then it outplays for us later on in the real world. So it's very less important here that he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Incredibly important that he's giving us the recipe for our own success or our own failures in life. He's giving us the instruction that what happens in our head, give it time, there it'll be out in the world. He's also doing the same kind of three-level thing that we talked about last week. Do you know what I mean? Last week I was telling us just a little bit about how we can profitably interpret the Bible for ourselves if we choose to. And that is, first we go for the literal meaning, and of course here he's saying, yeah, it is still a good idea not to kill, not to commit adultery, not to steal. It's a good idea to honor our parents, right? He's saying that the Ten Commandments are a good thing. That's the the literal interpretation. But then he's going on to the next level, and he's telling us metaphysically We have the power to make decisions around what's good or bad for us, and we don't need a list anymore. 
We don't need a list of the 385 things that would be good for us or the, the 892 things that it would be bad for us. And you know why? Because those lists would change. Do you know what I mean? If you really comb through, especially the Old Testament, you're going to come up with about a billion and a half rules about what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And the trouble with that is it was written a couple thousand years ago and things were different. Back 2,000 years ago, it was probably a really good idea not to purchase shellfish from a, a, a vendor along the dusty road, right? That was like the recipe for a bacterial infection. Do you know what I mean? Nowadays, we can go into a restaurant and order shellfish. We understand refrigeration. We understand how to properly keep some of that stuff. So the trouble with just having a list by having a, a literal set of commandments is... First of all, the context changes. People are different than they were 2,000 years ago in the way they live, in the way they act. And the second part of it is, what happens if it's an area that isn't covered? If it's not on the list, are you just free to do whatever you want? <laughs> right? Well, he didn't really say anything about insider trading. So uh, do you know what I mean? The 11th commandment was not thou shalt not commit insider trading. So that's probably okay. Do you know what I mean? Now the recipe here that Jesus is giving us is how we can tell in our own lives whether something's going to be productive. And what I liked about uh, his talking too is it reminded me of when I first got sober and, and I was in AA for, of course, many years. But, but I remember a year into being sober, I went to an AA meeting and my sponsor was there and I went over and talked to her and I said, you know, I'm a little worried. I've been having dreams lately and in them I'm drinking. Well, she of course lit right into that because <laughs> she was a good sponsor. But I was wondering, you know, do I need to start going to 90 meetings in 90 days again? You know, and she said, well, are you, you know, do you picture yourself drinking, you know, when you're awake or are these just kind of fleeting thoughts or dreams? And and I said, well, no, I haven't really, I mean, I'm not picturing myself that that's going to happen. And she said, think of it another way. She, she said, think of it as thoughts like birds. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, we all know that thoughts come and go, just in the same way a, a robin might zoom across the sky, right? Comes into your life, it leaves your life just as effortlessly. A thought just zooms through your mind in the same way. She said, but now and then, they might decide to make a nest. And I went, ah, <laughs> gotcha. If thoughts begin making a nest in your mind, right? That means you're constantly thinking of them. That means that the same kind of woven together texture of a nest or the, a set of thoughts around a certain topic or a certain way of being in your head. And when that's happening, oh my gosh, I hope it's something you want to see in the world. Do you know what I mean? What she was saying is, if this was my issue around drinking, if it wasn't just a fleeting dream, but rather I was picturing myself in you know, what bar it was going to be, and I was thinking about that favorite cocktail, do you know what I mean? It's like if I was playing that level of detail out in my head, if the nest was built and the eggs were in it, then yeah, 90 meetings in 90 days, because we know where thoughts like that lead us. Same message here from Jesus. Long before the adultery, long before stealing, long before dishonoring our parents in the physical world, of course, we've built that nest in our head where it's okay to dishonor our parents or whatever it is. 
And likewise, we build the nests also when it's full of good things. Do you know what I mean? Oftentimes, we have a real nest in our mind about being loving to others and what a great relationship would be. We're busily weaving together the ideas of what a perfect job would be like and, and how to be fruitful in that job and, and, and how to live a life that's full of joy and love. And, and these are the kind of good nests that we can build on purpose. This, is, I think, is the core of Jesus' teaching here. Not so much about having a list of this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do, but rather, how do we create our own list that changes as we change, that develops and grows as we run across new circumstances and new ways of being? How do I know whether something is right for me now? How is it appropriate? This is what he's talking about here. And what I think is interesting also is he continues even with the importance of this. Uh, Down in uh, verse 25, he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Now, who is he talking about here? There's been no mention of a court or a judge or anything like that up until now. He's talking about our own mind, of course. The only adversary we have are our own thoughts. Our adversaries are those thoughts that we don't want sailing through our mind that are in danger of making the nest, right? Those are the drinking thoughts that I was having. Those were the, uh, the thoughts maybe of anger that you might have around family members or the, the thoughts of worthlessness in a job or you know whatever they might be. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court and do it together on the way, he says. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you won't get out until you have paid every last penny. (laughs) He's saying there's no avoiding this. If your mind is circling around into dangerous areas, if your mind is creating that nest in your head that's leading you down a path of uh, Uh, I don't know what it might be, Uh, unhappiness in your marriage, uh, uh, violence at work, a place where you're feeling a a great deal of unrest. What he's saying is if you allow the nest in your mind, you're going to pay for it. These things have to outpicture in the world. And so he's urging us here to deal with things quickly, to take a look at those thoughts while there's still the bird that's flying by, right? Okay, that one flew by. That one's got a twig in its beak. Do you know what I mean? And can't you tell? Can't you tell when something goes from being an idle thought to a little bit of what? Consuming your mind. Have you ever been in that place where you felt like your mind was like a squirrel cage that had grabbed a hold of one thing and was turning over and over and over again? Maybe it was a bad encounter with the boss. Maybe it was an unpleasant situation with a family member. Maybe it was a a grudge that you've had against someone for a while and you replay over in your mind what you could have said and what you might have said and, and you even build it bigger than life. Do you know what I mean? It's consuming and you can feel it in the pit of your stomach and you're right there with that initial anger that you felt the last time or the or the fear that you felt or whatever it was it's like you're right there reliving it again and you know what you are you have invited those birds to build a nest and when your heart and your mind are full of something that is not good for you it's going to be there for you 
This is what he's talking about when he says, truly I tell you, you will not get out of this jail until you have paid to the last penny. Now how do we instead build a nest that's to our liking? So most of Jesus' words here were cautionary, but we can take the same attitude of knowing that it's first in our mind and then it appears out in the world. We can use the same tool to our benefit, right? We can consciously choose what kinds of thoughts we're going to have. We can consciously choose also to work on some of the more negative areas in our life, right? And do it quickly, as he says. It's like, let's not take the chance at having things go bad. Let's proactively begin to address the areas in our own lives where there's discomfort and disquiet, where, where we're maybe following against what we know to be true about our own selves. Anything less? Okay, let me back up just a second. What I know about you as a minister is that you are whole, that you are perfect, that you were created in God's image, that love and joy and peace are available and here for everyone in this room. That I know that without question. You don't, Sharon, am I right? You don't get through ministerial school unless you can look a congregation in the face and say that and mean that. God created you to experience joy and peace and love, the sweetness of life. That is why we are on this planet, and it is true for everyone in this room. And if you do anything to thwart yourself, if you do anything that breaks that kind of a commandment, if you are choosing to live your life or to have the thoughts that diminish you from that state, that's truly what breaking a commandment is. You have the choice. You have the choice to proactively begin thinking of your life to be building a beautiful nest full of joy and love, full of peace, full of happiness. You can begin internalizing these thoughts of productivity and usefulness, these thoughts of, of love and bliss in your lives. Or you can choose something different. But why would you? Knowing what we know that these thoughts are eventually going to outpicture, is it a prison that we want to create for ourselves? Or is it the complete, unimaginable freedom of, of living life to its fullest? So I have a bit of homework for you today, and I think it'll be a little fun. I want you, and you're, I know you're going to laugh, and it's okay. I'll explain it a little more, and it'll seem less crazy. What I would love to have each person in this room do is come up with your own Ten Commandments. Now let me explain just a little more, because I don't think it's all that profitable if one's personal commandments are rule-based. Do you know what I mean? If it's like, I shall not, you know, I shall not cheat at work. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's like circumstances change. You can go back to like the, uh, my joke where they'll want to know, and, and what order do you want to do these in, right? You can, you can quibble with it if it's activity-based. But if it's a rule of your heart, if it's a commandment of intention, from your heart, then you will always know how to obey it. So it might be something as simple as, and, and of course this might sound like something else that Jesus said, I will always treat others with the same respect that I would wish to be treated. Maybe that's one of your Ten Commandments, right? 
Because you can always look at any activity you're planning on doing or any way in the world and say, am I treating this woman, am I treating this man the way I would want to be treated? That's a pretty good commandment. Maybe another one would be, uh, I choose to believe that my world is life-affirming and rich. Do you see what I mean? If we can make our commandments be a creation of our own mind, they can always lead us into a path of true righteousness. And by righteousness, I mean what is right for you, what God would want you to experience, the fullness, the, the joy, the peace, the love that we were created to experience in God's image is there for us if we begin living that, if we begin organizing our minds to promote that way of being up here first and then outpicturing in the world. First, we create the world that we want in our mind, and then almost effortlessly the world will conform to that on the outside of things. So that's your homework today. What are your Ten Commandments? And, and, and I'll tell you a little bit of secret. You probably don't even need ten of them. Right? If you think about the first one that I kind of mentioned, like treating other people well, <laughs> well, that covers like seven of the original ten. Do you know what I mean? So you may need like three or four. This doesn't necessarily, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, uh, so don't overthink this. You may come up with something very poignant. You may just need one commandment, but it's yours. And it can help guide your life in an amazing and powerful way. I want to close today with uh, the way that Emmett Fox closes chapter 3 here. He says, We know now that any outward act is but a sequel to a thought. And the type of thought which we allow to become habitual will sooner or later find expression on the plane of action. And we understand now in the light of scientific Christianity that thoughts literally are things and that our choice of conduct really lies in our choice of the kind of thoughts that we permit to occupy the stage of our minds in other words jesus has discovered for us that a wrong thought is just as destructive an act as a wrong deed let us pray there is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that God of joy, of love, of peace, of harmony. It is that God of all things, every person, every place, every situation. All of it is God. God is truly everywhere present. And I know this is true for me. I know that as a subset of all that God is, the, the same joy, the same love, the same peace, the same abundance is available to me and to available and available to everyone in this room. It is the nature of all of us to partake in the joy that is God. And so for this week, knowing as the master teacher Jesus taught that it begins in our consciousness, in our mind first, I know that each person here becomes ever better, ever more skillful at organizing their own thoughts, their own mind, their own dreams, their own way of being into something that is positive, that is good, that is uplifting, so that that truly will outpicture into the world. And, it, and it's not just for us as individuals. I know that each person here also recognizes that as they uplift themselves, so the universe is risen on high 
And I am simply grateful for this, simply grateful in recognizing the power and presence of God as each thought, as each thought becomes a thing. I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Glad you're here. Glad you're here.